What up, what up? I'm Micah. I'm Ryan. And we want to personally welcome you to the first episode of the Hear Me Out podcast. The goal of this podcast, we're going to give you all the best sports news, the craziest hot takes, even if they must be bad. But we're just here to have fun, talk sports, do what we do. We hope you all enjoy it with us, too. First things first, I'm going to start off with a little bit of introduction. My name is Ryan Hightower, grew up in McDonough, Georgia. And one thing about me is I love sports. Anything to do with it, I'm a Georgia boy. I love my Braves. I love my Falcons. I love my Hawks, even if they disappoint me. Student at Kennesaw State University, and I'm loving every second of it. And one thing that I want to do is, you know, sports media. And I feel like there's no better way to start that than a podcast. And to introduce y'all to me, I'm Micah. I grew up in Atlanta, but my roots are planted in Texas. Everything Texas sports for me, the horns, the strobes, and the sad life of being a Texans and Rockets fan. But I am I love every team around the sport. I love the sport itself, and I'm here to just give y'all everything I got. And now that the introductions are out of the way, it's time to actually talk about what we're really here for and what this podcast is about. It is talk about sports. And I don't know if y'all know Check the dates yet, but it is October 3rd, and that means playoff baseball is here. And luckily for Micah and I, the Braves and the Strohs have made the postseason and have a first-round bye. So, Micah, you want us to get us started? Yeah, man. So we'll hop right into it with the wild card round today. We got Minnesota and Toronto kicking it off, and then Texas and Tampa Bay, Arizona, Milwaukee, and then Miami and Philadelphia. There's some big teams to watch for with Milwaukee and Minnesota both winning their divisions. But teams like Toronto and Philadelphia, it's shown in the past they can show up in the playoffs and start wrecking people's brackets. And unfortunately, uh, my Braves have been on the side of that. Last year, had that two seed going against the Phillies, and you're going in feeling good. It's a division rival. We've handled them no problem all year. They come and they made us look like we didn't belong to be in the postseason. And I'm looking right now. My prediction, we're not even going to go to predictions yet, but I'm just just for the sake of argument, I think Philly's going to handle the Marlins, and it's going to be a repeat of last year, and I cannot tell you that I'm excited for it. Braves, outstanding season. Wouldn't want anything else, but we have to go against a red-hot Phillies team, and this just shows you anybody can win. I'm looking at this bracket right now, and there's not a single team that I'm just like, they have zero shot. And when we talk about any team being able to win, it's polar opposites coming into the playoffs. The Braves locked up the division two weeks ago. The Astros didn't get the first place bid until the last day of the season. But right now, they're in the exact same place. No wins, no losses. Just waiting to see who they're going to play. But if you look around the bracket with with Tampa Bay at the bottom playing Texas, they're going to go in. Whoever wins that series gets to deal with a young, up-and-coming, not very experienced in the playoffs Orioles team. All of a sudden, you may be looking at the, the AL side of the bracket, and you've got Baltimore, who hasn't played a lot of playoff games. Minnesota, who hasn't won a playoff series since the early 2000s. And then a Tampa team that's extremely experienced and a Houston team that's extremely experienced. And I've talked about it all the time. Experience really matters when it gets down to this time of year. And I like that you bring up experience because, I mean, we're all looking at the Orioles right now. A, unless you're a wizard, nobody expected them to be here. They're nothing but young, raw talent. But I can't say that, especially since the second half of the season, that I'm surprised that they're here. You have stars like Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman that are leading that team with good pitching to back them. But like Micah said, experience. This is a super young team. There's Everybody's averages are down to zero. Everybody's stats is down to zero, and there's zero wins, zero losses. It is a clean slate in October baseball. So teams like the Astros, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Rays, those teams have been there. They know what to expect, and they know the attitude, that it, what you need to come into October baseball. 
So I want to go ahead and talk about the way I would rank these teams going into the postseason. The clear-cut favorites, Houston, Atlanta, and L.A. They're three teams that have been there. They've won. They're constantly in positions to win a World Series or to at least compete for one. But they know what it takes to get there. Then you have your dark horse teams, Toronto, Philadelphia, Tampa, even Texas. All these guys have good rosters. They know that they can show up when it comes to playoff time, and they've done it before. They got guys that can get hot at the right time, but they just got to stay together and remember to take it one day at a time. And then the biggest one for me, my biggest sleeper team, I talk about them every year because I don't know how they don't win, but Milwaukee is a huge sleeper on the NL side of the bracket. Amazing pitching staff with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta at the top. They got Williams in the back end of the pen. And in a three-game set or a five-game set where all it takes is three games to win it, they're not a team I want to see with that three-headed monster up top. I mean, and I before he said anything, I knew he was going to bring a Milwaukee. I will get flashback to 2021 Braves-Milwaukee Division Series. I got to be told that we were going to get absolutely shut down, put up a run or two if we were lucky. And don't get me wrong, that Braves team was magical, but that's what it took to beat that team was magic. That team is exactly how you want to build your baseball team, your ideal October. Three-headed monster with a good offense and a good bullpen. Like, there's nothing else you want out of them. So if you're Arizona, you're not happy that you have to go against them. And if you're L.A., you don't want to have to go against that. And depending on if it's a three-game series, if they just take care of Arizona, yes, you get those first couple games. You're thinking, all right, I just I had a week off. I'm fresh. They just had a three-game um, three series against the Diamondbacks. They used up all their pitching. That's still not a team I would want to run into. And talking about my Braves, who I don't want to run into, that I just said, I do not want to run into that Phillies team. Schwarber leading it off. You have guys like Harper. I mean, come on now. I don't even need to speak on him. Castellanos, Real Muto, Trey Turner, Captain America, who has been on a tear the last two months. I don't know what that standing ovation did to him, but he has turned into just a different player and yes i know the braves this is a historic offense max breeds healthy strider pitched amazing like yes on paper we should beat them but as a super optimistic and completely biased braves fan i will be lying if i'm saying i'm not worried at all and then on the ao side houston obviously sitting pretty at the two spot but like i said it was not an easy road to get to that division title up until the last day of the season we didn't look good um, we looked like we were unmotivated. The days we would pitch, we wouldn't hit. And the days we would hit, we wouldn't pitch. Hopefully, it finally all clicks and we can figure it out in the postseason like we always seem to do. But the other teams out there in the American League, they can bring problems to people. Toronto, I don't understand how they don't play better than they do. They have a great pitching staff. They have one of the best lineups in baseball. And you got guys like Bichette and Vlad that can just turn it on whenever they want to. And then you got... Minnesota, who continues to win a weak Central Division, but they haven't won a playoff game in God knows how long. I mean, every single time it gets down to playoff time, they look like they don't want to be there. But they have a good pitching staff, too. They got a good top end with Pablo and Sonny Gray. And then you move down towards Texas and Tampa. Another good matchup of two teams. Tampa always finds a way to go by on a low payroll. And then Texas has got all the bats. They just don't have the experience. It'll be fun to watch what happens. And I feel like we're in for a classic October. Like, I'm looking right now at nothing but excitement. I'm watching every game, staying up. And, you know, yes, I, it's easy for me to enjoy it. I have a week off. I get to actually just watch baseball for what it is, October baseball, see these guys compete. But whenever it comes around, even if we have to go against the Marlins, I mean, the fish kind of handled us. I cannot lie to you. They kind of gave us, I mean, 
go back, I want to say it was three weeks ago, we lost 16 to 10. And this was when we didn't even have the division locked up. We were still competing with the Dodgers for that one seed, and we got absolutely embarrassed. So no matter what, I'm looking at this entire bracket, and I can't just say that there's a cakewalk. Yes, you know, you can look at you can look at Minnesota. You you had a weak central division, but you have to win that division. You still have to win that dogfight, and you're going against Blue Jays, who continue to, I would say, even though they made the playoffs, disappoint. I do I say I would say they've been disappointed this season. You're looking at that team, and you're like, that team should honestly they should have won that division. The Orioles had a fantastic season, but that experience, I don't know how they got to where they are. But I mean, all we can really say is, is it's a fun October and let's get to the actual baseball season. Yeah, so just to take a look back, I mean, we have so many storylines from this year, from the rule changes way back in spring training, the controversy that came with the pitch clock. So now we're looking back at it, and it actually helped out a lot. Offense is way up. Game time is down. Attendance is through the roof. It seems like the quality of life around the baseball fan base is much better than it was. And then you look around at the numbers that were put up by teams. Atlanta ties the home run record. Acuna with the 40-70 season. And then every other guy out there, Bellinger having a bounce back year. Yelich playing great. Pitching wasn't nearly as good this year, but that's going to happen if you want better offense. You can't have both. You got to have one or the other. Absolutely agree. Because everybody, you can look at the ERAs. You know, there's not a whole lot of sub threes. But me personally, call me casual. I like to see not even the ball leave the park. I just like to see good offense. Guys knock it opposite field. You know, just get on base and make the game exciting. One thing that everybody's talking about, and it's great for me, it's my favorite play, is Ronald Cunha taking 70 bags this year. Stolen bases are way up. and I love to see it. So if you ask me, obviously, I think the rule changes actually were a lot of fun. I went in this season not knowing what to expect. I was I was a little skeptical of them. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I was a little worried. I didn't know what they are going to do. You're taking a lot of what the actual game brings just naturally. But going off to just looking back at the season, it was a lot of fun. A lot of young talents. You have Ellie De La Cruz coming on the scene. Yes, he had a cold end of the season, but he was exciting there for a month. I mean, nobody could just stop talking about the kid. Like, he was just electric. You got Adley Rutschman coming up, doing his thing. Like, there's just a lot of guys, and there's just a bright future that the MLB's got in store. And talking back on those young guys, there's a lot of talk right now that the guy that's going to win the AL Rookie of the Year is Gunnar Henderson. He played great. He came up last year, had a slow start, but this year came out of the gate swinging, had a good year, put up 20-plus homers. But the one thing I want to talk about, and I don't know why it's gone so under the radar, it's going to be my first hot take. Hear me out. Yiner Diaz needs more consideration to win the AL Rookie of the Year. If you look at the numbers side by side, he's got the better average than Gunner. Gunner has the better on base. But everything else other than the counting stats of homers and RBIs, it all favors Yiner Diaz. He played for a team that really struggled down the stretch. And he was a big reason that we were able to sneak into the playoffs. He had a great month of August, great month of September. Gunnar Henderson got by the second half of the season. He had a really hot start. It looked like it was going to be a big run between him and Yoshida at the beginning for the rookie of the year. But they both started to cool off. And Yiner's just quietly been behind the scenes having 20-plus homers with a 128 OPS while playing the hardest position to play on the field and still be able to hit. And, I mean, I'm looking at these numbers right now. I didn't watch a whole lot of Orioles games. I didn't watch a whole lot of Astros games. I watched them a fair share. And I'm looking at these numbers, and he makes a good point. I mean, yes, you're going to have those counting sets, your home runs, your RBIs. Yes, that's because you played more games. That is just longevity of the season. 
But what I like to see is the production and the time amount you were here. And I'm looking at his OPS plus, which is just, I mean, it's a small margin, but it's higher. Yes. And all the averages, but on base is that, like that is higher. So he said, and I know Gunnar Henderson, fantastic defender, but Yiner does play behind the plate. That is not easy position, like Micah said, to A, be an elite hitter, but a very good defender. And yes, he's not going to be as good of a defender as Maldonado, but let's be honest here. Maldonado hits a buck 12. Like, nobody wants that behind the plate. So, hot take. And yes, you know, Astros fan, I'm going to have my Braves bias, but consideration. So, all, he, all he's asking is just a little bit more consideration. And one thing I want to point out, too, and we're talking about Maldonado and Diaz, and We'll get more into it when I talk about Dusty Baker. Lord knows that's going to take a while. But Yiner was actually better defensively behind the plate this year than Maldi was. Maldi led ba- all of baseball in pass balls. He didn't throw anybody out anymore. It's simple fact that he's not as good of a defender as he used to be. The only reason that's viable for Dusty to keep him behind the plate is the relationship he has with the staff. But at times, it didn't even look like he had that anymore. So I don't even I don't even want to get into the convo of, Maldi's defense yet but just going back to the point Yonder needs more consideration and I really hope the voters see that too and I mean everybody knows I feel like you can go to the last couple weeks of the season you everybody knows where the voters there's not a whole lot of toss-ups I feel like that last couple months is crucial I personally I think Gunnar Henderson will win that award but I I am hearing him out and I'm looking at these stats right now and my eyes have opened already I would take more consideration. I'm looking back on it. Like, yes, some people think average is a dead, uh, you know, dead stat. But I'm looking. There's almost a 30-point average that Diaz has on um, Gunnar Henderson in the average department. I mean, that's a substantial amount. And especially, you know, I get it. He played a lot more baseball. He played more games. But OPS is higher. Slugging is higher. OPS plus is higher. And you know, he just, he gave me a little bit of a fact check. I thought Maldonado was the better defender. And guess who go back, look at the stats. That Diaz is a better defender, or at least a serviceable defender, where he's so much better on offense. So much better. And everybody knows there was points in that Houston's offense. You know, you have Bregman, Jordan, Kyle Tucker. They struggled. And they had a young guy step up, and they got him. Or that, that he's what got them there to that two seed. The reason that Houston is not going to play this week, big big part is because of that kid right there. And one reason that almost held us back from not being able to get to this two seed is the guy that we have calling the shots, Dusty Baker. Where do I even start with this guy? I mean, all season long, it seemed like every call that was right, he didn't make it. it we, we started to get healthy towards June. We get Altuve back. Jordan gets back off the I.L. And then we're waiting on Brantley to get back. So what does he start doing? He starts taking Chaz McCormick out of the lineup, who's been our best hitter while they were out, him and Dubon. He starts... He starts playing Jake Myers every day, who was hitting 220 to 230 at times. And then once he finally comes to his senses and starts playing McCormick, he won't play Diaz, who's been much better than Maldonado at all times. It talked early in the season. He said that Diaz was going to catch Brown and was going to catch France, our younger guys. And then later down the stretch, all of a sudden, Maldonado's catching Brown and sometimes is catching France. It made no sense at all. And even if you weren't going to play him behind the plate, why not put him in DH? Another thing with Dusty, why is Jose Abreu, who has an OPS under 800, been hitting four or five all year long? There is no reason that he should not have moved down in the lineup when he had Pena jumping all over the place, who was having a solid season at the two, then he drops him to the eight. He struggles. Puts him back at the two. He's good again. Back to the eight. 
It made no sense, some of the calls that Dusty was making all year. It's been communicated by Dana Brown that it's more than likely going to be Dusty's last year. I hope we go after a guy like Gabe Kapler. But, man, it was a tough season to watch. I'm just glad we ended up on top. I guess that's really all the thing. That's what you can be fortunate about is the fact that you're in the postseason. You get your first round by. I had to hear this frustration the entire season. And, you know, I don't. I'm not watching every Astros games, but I'm I'm looking at what I've been shown, and you're just you're looking at the numbers, and you're just thinking, "A, how does this guy have a job?" I think it's because of that World Series that Astros won last year. You don't win that. You have let's just say they lose. You lose back to back World Series. He's gone. He's gone halfway through the season point because there's no reason you should be struggling with the talent that is on that roster. You go make a big trade for Verlander, and there looked like this. There was no progress being made. There was no climbing up the standings. Nothing. It looked like Texas. There was actually times where I could say the Mariners, too. It felt like in the AL West, and I'll let Micah speak on this because he got to actually live through that. It felt like nobody in the ALS wanted to win that division. Like, when the Mariners had it, they were like, all right, let's go on a six-game losing streak. Texas wanted to win 10 of 30, like or 30 games, and then the Astros were just, like, pretty much checked out, at least on the outside looking in. It just looked like they checked out. So if you want to speak on that, like, what was going on? Yeah, the most frustrating thing about that whole situation was that Houston would be out by, like, six, six and a half games at times. And then they'd go on a stretch, get to within a game, and then we'd get swept by the damn athletics. Like, it just it made no sense to the way, not only that we were managing, but the way that we were playing. And then the same thing would happen with Texas. For a while there, you heard me talk about it. It was, if we were playing good, Texas was playing good. If we were playing bad, Texas was playing bad. Seattle was on the back burner up until the last couple months of the season. They got red hot thanks to Julio finally turning it on. But, man, most of the year, it was just frustrating to watch. There was no excuse, no reason for why we were playing as bad as we were. But we just never seemed to click until right down the stretch, we had a good four-game set against Texas. Then we had our good series in Baltimore where Tucker hit that walk-off, or not walk-off, but the go-ahead grand slam. And then from there, we looked like we were going to play well, run away with the division, and it fell apart again. We finally end up clicking at the end of the year. But if we have an early bounce in the playoffs, even if we don't, I really think Dusty needs to be gone. And questions got to be asked. Where do we go with guys like Abreu who didn't play well? Why would we have any reason to re-sign Maldonado? We need to make something happen in the next year or two because at the end of the day, guys like Bregman, and Altuve, they're getting older. Our window's going to close eventually. We have to understand that we may be on the back end of the golden era of Astros baseball. So we have to capitalize while we're still on top. And we can't sit around and manage all year, even though we're up a half game, like we're up 10 and a half games. And, you know, the closeout on, you know, Astros baseball and, you know, even the AL side of things is for the time being. Talking about the ending of a golden era in Houston, let's talk about what I think is the beginning and living in the prime of a golden era right here in our own Atlanta. The Braves, another fantastic season with 104 wins. After having 101 the year prior and the year prior before that, even only winning 88, you win a World Series. And the highlight is that man, Ronald Acuna Jr. To say he had a great season and is an incredible, like incredible understatement. Not only does he make history with a 30-60, but 40-70, add whatever number you want to it. The guy flat out had, he just balled. You know, look at the slash line, you know, 337, 416, 596. He had a, tw- a 1,012 OPS, led the NL in OPS, led the NL in hits, led the NL in stolen bases, and led the NL in runs with an OPS plus of 168, 41 bombs. I mean, 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Micah, the fifth player in um, MLB history with a 40-40 season, but he said, let me take that another level. 40-50? Mm-mm. 40-60? No. 40-70. Incredible season. You mean, I don't even think it's Braves bias. That is my MVP, and it should be everybody's MVP. Mookie had an incredible incredible season, like, and I'm looking at, you know, his. he had a podcast this year that started up. And I'm watching. I'm like, I get to see another side of this guy. I'm a Mookie Betts fan. I went into the season. I was thinking he's a little overrated. I think people held on to that 2018 season he had with the Red Sox. But that dude, another guy who could just flat out play the game. And the only thing he has on Acuna is he's a much better defender. He can play just about anywhere on the field. But Acuna is my MVP. And he was the, he was the leader of this incredible Braves team who – had the highest slugging percentage by a team in MLB history with 501. You have guys like Matt Olson, who, you know, Acuna, having the season he had, kind of took an MVP shot away from him. Broke the franchise record in home runs, broke the franchise record in RBIs with 54 bombs and 139 uh, RBIs, passing Eddie Matthews and Andrew Jones on that home run list. Like, we just had guys who just were super, just A, consistent, they were always there for us, and B, we were just breaking records. You have a guy, another record that was broken. Spencer Strider passes John Smoltz on the single season K list with ending the season with 281. The guy just was different. I mean, yes, you know, that ERA is a little high. So, you know, we're getting into, we'll get into the award talk, especially with Cy Young. As much as I would love to, he's not he's not a Cy Young guy because he he just he gave up the long ball a little too much. But 281 strikeouts, you cannot. I mean, you can't say that for granted. And just look at the rest of the lineup. You have guys like Michael Harris, who were awful, awful. June 7th, I was at this game. He was batting one, I want to say 60. He was batting in the 160 area. All it started was a lay down bunt to the opposite field, and then he had a multi horror game. And then from then on, he was one of the best players in all of majors. Yeah, and looking back at this Braves team, I talked about it before, but the past two years that we have had, with MVPs, with last year with Judge breaking the AL single-season home run record, and this year with Acuna putting up 40-70, it's two of the best MVP seasons that we've ever seen. And this right now is a great time to be a baseball fan watching the sport. But also this Braves team, I mean, the most dominant offense I've ever seen. I I remember watching the 2019 Astros team with an elite offense there, and I talked about that team being one of the greats. But then you had Minnesota that same year put up, what was it, 307 home runs in mm-hmm. one season? You never thought a team would be able to mix what Houston had with the star power top to bottom, that they were constantly able to get on base, always putting balls in the gap. They were just a very, very good offense. that didn't necessarily always hit the homers, but they were extremely good. And then what Minnesota had with all that power. But we were wrong. Atlanta put both of those together this year. And this is one of the best offenses I've ever seen. I put it up there with the 27 Yankees, the 90s Indians. They were elite. And there's guys who, you know, you're expecting now, yes, he came off the injury. Acuna was going to do Acuna. He was going to have a good season. You know, you know, Olsen's going to put up numbers. Austin Riley's going to put up numbers. But you have guys like Marcelo Zuna, who May 1st, everybody in Atlanta wanted him gone. I'm Ozuna no, from the Braves. And I mean, and I th- that's where it all started, really. Once you become a meme like that, you got you got to play good, right? Either that or you're going to lose a job. And I think Alex Anthopoulos gave him one one more week. And I think that week he took into consideration of I got to hit the baseball. And Lord, did he do it. He just hit his 40th home run in his la- in the last game of the season. 
which made three Brave players 40 or over, which is absolutely nuts. I mean, that is a stat that's unheard of. But you have guys like Marcelo Zuna who are playing at an elite level. Austin Riley, who I would say had a not disappointing season, but considering he was, you know, in MVP talks past couple seasons, he still had a good year. You're just, you're outshined by five of the guys on your team. Orlando Arcia to replace Dansby Swanson, who so many Braves fans, I'm not going to say myself, but so many Braves fans were very sad to see go. He won, goes an all-star game. Why not? Sean Murphy, all-star catcher. I mean, this team, one through nine, and some guys on the bench like Kevin Pillar, like you just had guys who could just hit. And you have Iglesias who could come in and he could just shut down the door. He had his times. You know, he not he wasn't perfect, but a good, really good closer. You have guys like Mentor, you know, very shaky beginning of the year, but did his thing at the end. Jesse Chavez, who had a very quiet season, which partly was due to injury, but he was really good. We just, they, like, in and out, this team is really good. Yes, pitching is still a question mark because we're always looking for that fifth guy, or that fourth and fifth guy. Elder really struggled to end the year. It finally caught up. Everybody's, you know, you look at his expected stats, and you're like, well, he's getting hit hard. Like, eventually, it's not going to go his way, and it did. And you have guys, we're trying out, you know, guys like Smith Shaver, Jared Schuster, Dylan Dodd, like all these different guys. And, you know, we just couldn't really find that guy. And that's fine because, you know, baseball, I feel like going in, we're not going to have that five-man rotation. We'll probably have three to four-man rotation and just play the bullpen and rely on offense. And I don't agree with only relying on offense, but when you have a historic offense, I think you can kind of get away with it. I agree. So look at this Braves team going into the postseason. There's only two things that really maybe raise a little bit of an eyebrow for me. Number one, it's like you talked about with the pitching staff. It's not only the back end of the rotation, but also the back end of the bullpen. Mentor can be shaky at times. Iglesias can be shaky at times. Y'all don't have that Matzik that you did where you can turn to him and you know he's going to go out and shove. And then the second thing is, I've talked about this with you before, is it looked like Atlanta took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit down the stretch, like just a little bit. There was after they clinched up the division and especially after they locked up the one seat, it seemed like they played a little bit of lazy baseball down the, down the stretch. And that always worries me with teams because you never know if you're going to be able to lock back in. I talk about that all the time. I've seen it happen. We did it like there's plenty of teams that have done it before. It can happen. The best team in baseball doesn't always come out in the postseason and dominate like they should. It's just one of those things you have to watch for. It's going to be a really interesting story to develop. I 100% agree. And, you know, and I was listening to him. He's like, y'all are just really kind of letting the foot off the gas. Y'all are taking, taking it easy. But one thing that I will say, that series against the Cubs, I think that was a beautiful way to end the season. Beautiful way. I know it wasn't our last series. We, had, You know, you go against the Nationals. You're really, you're just trying not to get guys hurt. But to, and, you know, I'm sorry for all my, my Cubs out there, but. We had to end the season real quick. We had to, I feel like we had to prove to ourselves that, okay, we can still play good baseball, meaningful baseball. And I think that was a bright spot going into the postseason of just like, all right, we, we can turn it on. You know, obviously we don't need to play everybody. Take guys, give rest. But to end the season on that good of a note, I'm definitely, as a Braves fan, you know, you're worried about having that week off and you're afraid that the season was almost too perfect. But that was definitely a bright spot in what I would say to cap off an amazing season. And, I think, you know, we're talking about the ending of the season. Let's start about this new football season. Get into the exciting parts of the NFL season. All right, to start our NFL talk, we're just going to go from week one. It wasn't the first game, but it was the first 36 seconds of the New York Jets season. Aaron Rodgers 
his leg said, no, I'm good. And it sucks because, I mean, I feel like that was the most anticipated team that everybody was looking forward to, really. I mean, nobody cared about the Chiefs going back-to-back. Yeah, the Eagles, cool, this, that, the third. But everybody wanted to know, what is Aaron Rodgers going to do with this young, exciting Jets team? And we won't know. He's talked about coming back for the playoffs. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but we'll see. But, well, also, let's not mention the fact that they're one and three, so playoffs probably won't even happen anyway. Yeah, make the playoffs yeah, first. Exactly. Like, I mean, no offense. And he played a fantastic game this uh, on, you know, Monday night. Or Sunday night, my bad. Excuse me. Uh, Sunday night. But he played a fantastic game. Zach Wilson's not going to be the guy who leads you to the promised land. He's just not. But, you know, you look around the league, there's teams that are, you know, the Colts, kind of kind of surprising. AR, doing his thing. Like, I love the kid. I liked him out of Florida. Yes, he was pure potential. He's like a Cam Newton where you're just like, all right. And obviously, Cam Newton had a much better college career. But what I'm saying is physique. And, you know, he didn't do a whole lot in college. But you're just looking at the guy like, the dude has nothing but raw talent. And, you know, we'll get into this later. We have a whole topic about this. But, you know, guys like CJ Stroud, fantastic start to a career. Fantastic star. My favorite quarterback out of the entire draft class. Probably one of my favorite players out of the draft class. And then you have Bryce Young, who struggled. Thankfully, he gave us the, you know, gave the Falcons a freaking win in week one. First time the Falcons have had an above 500 record since 2017. That tells you how bad we've been, but we're not going to go into that just yet. Um, Let's see, other highlights we want to hit. I mean, I'm not going to bring up, you know, Travis Kelsey and his dating life. We're not doing Sweet that. Because I know everybody and their grandmother has brought that up. So we're not going to really take a deep dive into that. Um, Joe Burrow has completely disappeared. We're still looking for him. Um, not sure what happened. Uh, Devin A-Chain. I could even be pronouncing that wrong, but that kid, he runs the ball pretty well. Uh, his buddy Raheem Mosa runs the ball pretty well, has helped me in fantasy a couple times. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and, yeah, that's just kind of the highlights for my week one. And if, you know. Mike, if you got anything that you want to bring up, what you got? Yeah, man, we're going to talk about guys that have showed up to start the year. We can't pass over that man playing out in L.A. Puka Nakua, he is putting up stats. Him and Matt Stafford going crazy. I saw a post earlier today, I think it was either on ESPN or Bleacher Report. Through four weeks, he has the most receiving yards between him and Calvin and Cooper Cup's 2,000-yard season. He is on pace to break the single-season receiving yard record. Another guy to talk about, Tank Dell. He's played great a couple weeks for Houston. And then, like, just looking into that Houston team in general, shout out to the front office for making the move to go get C.J. Stroud and go get Will Anderson. C.J. has looked great through four weeks. We're 2-2. Two and two. Everybody thought we were going to be 0-4. We were supposed to be terrible. And C.J. has looked like. He is one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He's been great. Um, looking back up and down the roster on the defensive side, Will Anderson's played pretty well. We've had good good production from guys like Damian Pierce. We're still waiting for everything to click on the defensive side. D'Amico's going to figure it out. But also on the offensive side, Nico Collins has been great. This team looks like they're heading more into the right direction than I thought. I knew the rebuild was going to be a little bit of a process. I didn't expect us to look this good, but we're looking like we're ahead of schedule, and I really like that. And I 100% agree. I'm not going to lie to you. Not that I was a Texans hater, but also I'm not. I'm looking at the receivers, and I'm looking at the guy, the role. We'll just call them role players for the sake of conversation. Of guys, that they're not the big name. You know, yes, yeah, C.J. Stroud, you know, Will Anderson, big, new, young, exciting guys. Like, that's what you're looking at, but you're like, what else do they have? And 
they have a complete young team. Like they're really making strides into the right direction. If you're a Texans fan, I would be excited. This is the first time you can be excited in a, like a few years. And you play in a, what I think is a weak division. The Colts, they're, they're in the same boat that you are. Pure, just they're just trying to rebuild. The Jaguars, yes, they're shaky. They don't really have an identity yet. They don't know what they want to do, how they want to do it. But, yes, they're a good team. They're favored to win the division. And then you have the Titans, who is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry and with a little bit more Derrick Henry. Because Ryan Tannehill, I am a big Ryan Tannehill hater. He's not leading you to any sort of promised land. He's not winning you any ball games. He is throwing it to the other team way more than he's throwing it to you. So, if you're a Texans fan, yes, it is on the come up. You want you lost your first two games, but you have lost or you've won your last two. And on the other side of that, you have my Falcons, who did the exact opposite, gave us hope, and that's what they do. They really they give you hope. Two and zero, you're like wow. And we don't play in a great division. We have a chance. We go out. The Lions make us look like we don't know what offense is. And then we go over to London, play at 9.30 in the morning, wake up early just to watch us lose to a team that the NFL was trying to get to move. They were trying to get Jacksonville permanently in England a few years ago. We get absolutely waxed by them. Our defense didn't play that bad. We only give up 23 points, and I want to believe I believe it was 20-6 to six against that uh, line in that Lions loss. Our offense, fam, Ritter. I mean, you call me a hater, but he wasn't that great last year. He's not the guy. And I get it. We haven't been put in a situation to get that guy. Yes, whatever. The whole Lamar situation. Go get Lamar, whatever. I, we were in on Deshaun Washington. Thank God we didn't do that because, I mean, really, I don't want to pay him that much just for him not to play and also other off-the-field issues. But Ritter's just not that guy. And Arthur Smith has kind of proven to not be the leader that we're looking for. I used to think he wasn't a problem, but now that I'm, you know, I'm seeing that Offense that he's given, and I'm seeing the team that he has around him, and he's not utilizing it. Bijan, a dog. But the thing is, is you have to use him in creative ways. You can't just give him handoffs. Yes, you, we try to give him in the, on the outside, give him some bubble screens. But the thing is, is you have to let him get in his face on himself because that dude is nasty. Granted, I don't love the pick. We took him at eight. But the dude is nasty. You can't deny it. And then, oh, Kyle Pitts. I knew this was a bad pick. Off the rip. I wish I wish I had recording evidence of how upset I was with this pick. Taking a tight end at four, who is basically a receiver because he can't block for nothing. He just doesn't get open. And when he like he's a he's a good player. Like he's a great young talent. But we don't need we didn't need that. We took him at the four spot. We needed defense. And that's how I felt about the Bijan pick. We could have taken Jalen Carter. And look what he's doing up there in Philly. And Drake London. Why are we not giving him the ball more? It's so irritating seeing how teams can play us and just shade over to guard Drake London because they know he's a playmaker, and we don't have a quarterback that can get into that tight window. So unless he's wide open, he's not going to touch the ball. So we need to, you know, saw after the game, Arthur Smith was getting mad about targets. Somebody brought up, you know, about getting guys more targets, and he he said, well, that's a fantasy question, or that's a fantasy stat. No, they're not. Receptions are an actual stat. Targets are an actual stat. You're just mad that you don't know how to get your guys open. You have great young playmakers, and you can't get them open. Four-speed your guy, all right? Well, you know, we're not in college football yet. We're not We're not on that topic yet. But just for a simple sake of, look what they're doing up there at Georgia. Go to Athens. Brock Bowers is that guy. The reason that that team is still undefeated is because of that man. Because they know how to get their playmaker the ball. So get him the ball. We have three of those guys. Like I said, I was kind of bashing on Kyle Pitts, but the dude is still a freak athlete. Give him the ball. Give Drake London the ball. Give Bijan the ball. 
And on top of that, you still have Cordell Patterson and Algier. There's no reason this offense should struggle, except for the pure fact we don't have a quarterback. We have a coach that doesn't know the route he wants to go. He knows that he wants to give the ball to his high offensive draft picks, but he doesn't know. He does not know the right way to get into it. So that's, I'll speak my piece on that. Had to go on my little Falcons rant. Mike, is there anything else that you had to say? Yeah, so looking outside of just Atlanta and Houston, when you take a look around the league, I mean, obviously the Dolphins have put up some of the best offensive numbers we've seen through four weeks up until obviously this week when they got routed by Buffalo. But there's been so many good storylines about teams not only just finding ways to get guys involved, but moving them all over the field. Tyreek Hill has been slotting in at running back. They took notes from San Francisco in the way they used Debo. Uh, you see Tank Dell in Houston. I'm, I'm going back to them again, but he moves all over the place, always finds ways to get open. Gary Wilson, they know that Zach Wilson can't necessarily find Garrett on the deep ball all the time. So they've been scheming routes to just somehow find Garrett space and get him the touches he needs. Why can't a team like Atlanta do the same thing with Drake London? But then just looking more around the league, Josh Allen has been amazing. He's got a 74% completion percentage. That's the highest in all football. And then out west, in my opinion, the best team in the NFL, the 49ers. CMC has looked amazing. Seven touchdowns through four weeks. What are we talking about? 5.7 yards of carry. I mean, if that's not the MVP, then I don't know who is. I mean, I can't. And, you know, people get weird when you say anything besides a quarterback for MVP. And it's early. We're four games in. But that's definitely a guy you got to have up there. I don't care what you say. That's a guy you need up there at the top. Because what he's doing out there in the Bay is unbelievable. That entire team is unbelievable. How they do it? Well, I know how they do it. You're paying your quarterback nickels and dimes. But when your quarterback, when you're pay, you took him the, he's Mr. Irrelevant, which is very relevant now. He's just a baller. Like, that's a steal. That, and it's just funny because you trade all the draft picks for Trey Lance. Like, imagine what they could have been. Imagine if they don't do that. Imagine that team without those wasted uh, traded draft picks and everything that they put for Trey Lance. That team would be even better than they already are, in my opinion, undoubtedly the best team in the NFL. And I just know as Brock Purdy looking back, he feels like such a badass. He goes from being Mr. Irrelevant to, yeah, look at me now. Like, what a story for him. That team is it's just ridiculous up and down the roster. There's something to really watch for. But with the NFL coming to close, let's start talking college football. We'll start with the horns, man. In my opinion, another hot take coming. Hear me out. Texas should be the number one team in the country. Man, I'm going to need you to explain that one for me. Georgia has not looked good the past two weeks. They struggle with South Carolina. They struggle with Auburn. Texas beat number three Alabama in Bryant-Denny. If you know anything about college football, Bama doesn't lose at Bryant-Denny. Then they beat number 24 Texas, who people thought that was going to be a trap game. Yeah, we beat them by 26. And then you look at the teams that are in front of us. Like I said, Georgia struggled. And then Michigan, they haven't looked the greatest. I'm not going to say that they've looked bad, but they haven't looked the greatest. When it's, when we talk resume, we have the best resume in the top four right now. The only case I'll be able to listen to is Ohio State, but the Notre Dame game is so weird to me because you win that game for the simple reason that there was 10 guys on defense. But just looking at it, Texas, in my opinion, should be the number one team in the country. I think they're going to prove that this week again. Red River rivalry gaming coming up. We got Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Every year, this is always going to be a big game, regardless of ranking. But this one has more weight than we've ever seen. And I agree. Now, I'm not going to 
I think, and I'm not even a Georgia fan, I think Georgia, just for the simple fact you win back-to-back titles, and I get it, it's supposed to be the best team this year, but we all know how the committee is. We This is no surprise. This is no, well, you can't say that because they know. We all know Georgia is going to be number one until they lose. In my eyes, I was thinking, I was having, you know, a conversation with a couple of guys I know, and I thought Michigan would just hop into the one spot. This past week, I thought they were going to be the one just because of how they struggled this past week with Auburn. But they made a good point in going with what Mike is saying. Look at Texas's re- resume. I think, like, they were like, if Georgia loses, let's just say Georgia have lost, Georgia backs up to whoever, whatever, Texas has won. Because you have been that Alabama. At that point, it's a clean slate of these two new teams who, you know, on the come up, they're the best teams in the country, but Texas moves one. And that, hearing that, I can agree. But right now, Georgia's my number one just for the simple fact is they haven't lost. And I don't even, like, it's been, a, it's been a long time since they've lost a football game. And you've won the past two national championships. You're undefeated. You know, they have a, they have a game coming. I want to say it's Kentucky. I believe it's Kentucky. It's Kentucky. 20 ranks Kentucky. So that is, that's a big game coming up. But. We also have a good one coming up with Texas, number three, Texas, and number 12, Oklahoma. So I think if Georgia goes in, handles business, just like Texas did with Kansas, I think Georgia's still the number one. And if Texas goes in, handles Oklahoma, it's still all the same. Texas beats Oklahoma, and I think if it's a close game for Georgia and Kentucky, I think you can see a shakeup in the rankings. And to talk back about what I mentioned earlier with Ohio State and Notre Dame, I and a lot of people had the same thought. I was very angry with the committee for the fact that they dropped Notre Dame so much in the rankings because of losing on the last play of the game. Notre Dame looked amazing that game, and they've looked amazing every game I've seen them play. I've had the privilege for some reason this year I've been able to watch every Notre Dame game. Normally, I don't check out Notre Dame because I don't really think they're ever that good. I normally am the person that always says Notre Dame gets so much hype and so much built up for them and then they get to the playoffs or get to a big game, and they don't look like they belong. But this year, they look great. Hartman's looked amazing. Estime's been great. The defense, other than the time they forgot how many people play football, they've looked amazing. And they got a test coming up again. They've got the chance to prove themselves once again the next couple weeks. They get 25 Louisville this week. They've got USC coming up next week. If they can play well those two games, I think they should jump back up to the top six or seven teams in the country. I think that they are good enough to hang with the top four teams right now. They've done it already with Ohio State. I think that they would really give Michigan and Georgia and Texas a good run for their money. They need to be back up there, and we'll see, and they'll prove that in the next couple weeks. I agree, and it's just a very unfortunate thing with our, you know, the four-team playoff format because you're Notre Dame. You've already lost that one game, so you feel like your season's over. But depending on how it goes, everybody kept in mind. You kept it close with Ohio State. I mean, you kept it close. Literally, if you get one more stop and you have another guy on the field, you win that football game, you're the team that's looking into the top four, maybe even in the top four. And you play USC, that's another chance for you to prove that you can play with these big dogs. Georgia's look shaky. They could lose. Texas, you know, they've looked fantastic. And everybody wants to say, well, Texas is going to have their slip-up game. What if they don't? What if Texas doesn't have that slip-up game? People aren't going to be ready for that. And Michigan, fantastic program, fantastic team, but they don't have an easy schedule. So if you're Notre Dame, you you might say that your season might be over just because you have that one loss, and that's how the Ford uh, team playoff is. But keep on playing hard. Keep on play, uh, beating these ranked teams. We'll see whenever it comes to December who's actually in that top four, who's playing on New Year's Day and the week after.
And to move on from the playoff talk, I want to talk about the Heisman too, because this race is one that's going to be historic, not only because we have three guys that, and there's more than three, but just the three that I'm going to highlight have been amazing. But the fact that we might see something that's only been done one time in the history of college football, a repeat Heisman. Caleb Williams, through five weeks, 1,600 yards, 21 touchdowns, 74% completion, and only one interception. Michael Penix has been great. 1,900 yards, almost 2,000, one yard away from 2,000, 16 touchdowns, two picks, 75% completion percentage. He's been amazing. And then estimate in Notre Dame. 672 yards on the ground, seven touchdowns, 7.1 yards per attempt. I mean, it's it's a great race. There's other guys that can jump in there. You have Marv, you have Brock Bowers, but those three have been huge through five weeks, and I really like what I'm seeing from them. I agree. I mean, I was watching that USC-Colorado game. We'll get to Colorado in a second, but the kid is just different. And, you know, I get it. You're throwing to just the best of the best. You're in a Lincoln-Riley system where you're going to succeed. But he is just different. And his one interception, I was watching that play. He tried. It was one of those, you're waiting for it to be a Heisman play. You break a couple sacks. You're rolling right. You throw it up. And you just don't quite get enough on that. Because here's the thing. He makes that play. Colorado doesn't make a comeback. He probably gets another touchdown later. That, And we're not looking at the interception. We're like, this is the Heisman. And that's just one play. So I'm not going to knock the kid for having one, let's call it a bad play, but he still improvised. Penix, I haven't watched a whole lot of Washington Husky games, but I'm looking at his stats right here. You see the wins that he's had. The dude's a baller. One guy that, and this isn't about Heisman as much as who's the best player in college football, and yes, you might think this is the same thing, but not necessarily. You go play, you're a wide out or you're a tight end at Georgia. Yes, you get the ball, but you're not the main focal point. Those That's running back. That's when you think the greats at Georgia is you're not a quarterback, you're not a receiver, it's a running back. Brock Bowers, I've seen we we watched him in person that first game of the season for them. They're their home opener. And that guy is just different. He is a playmaker. I feel like whenever I think of playmaker, that is him. Not let me just run a, a go route or let me run a post, throw it up to me and I'll make the catch. No. Give me the ball on a 10-yard dig and let me turn it into 50. Let me save the game. Let me make the reason we don't lose to Auburn. Because God bless Carson Beck, he's not he's not the guy. And I'm not a Setson Bennett lover, but Setson Bennett knew how to get the ball in other people's hands, and he knew how to make a play. This guy is a one read, and I feel like he panics. Give the ball to your best guy on the field and let him work. And we all know about Marvin Harrison Jr. Now some of these comparisons have been a little crazy. Um, Randy Moss, that's a little crazy. Calvin Johnson, a little crazy. But the dude's a, dude's a talent. And yeah, I'm a favor of my receivers more than I'm a favor of my running backs just because I've, I've played receiver. I have a heart for it. But these guys are just, they're athletes. They're superior athletes, and they know what to do when they have the ball in open space, but they know how to go up and make an insane play. So, yes, that's that's my argument. Is like Heisman, right now it's Caleb Williams. But if we're going off the best player, probably Caleb Williams is your number one. But look at guys like Brock Bowers. Look at guys like Marvin Harrison. Those dudes, studs on really good teams. And can we give a little bit of credit to Ohio State and the job that they've done with receivers in the past few years? Just just the four guys that you hear come off the top with Marvin Harrison Jr., Chris Olave, JSN, and Gary Wilson. The fact that not only they had all four of those guys, they had all four of them in the same receiver room. They have done such a good job of building their receivers 
knowing what they need to do to get these big-time recruit receivers in there, and just flourishing, having the talent. Even though they don't have the greatest quarterback this year with, with McCord, Marv still gets it done. He still gets the receptions he needs to. He still gets the yards. He's still resoundingly the best receiver in the country. And no shade on McCord. I mean, he's not anything spectacular, but he's done well. And kind of going back to NFL, staying in the college realm, though, the thing is, is if you can make, you know you have a system whenever you can make Justin Fields look like he knows what he's doing with throwing the football. And I'm sorry, you know, but let's be honest here. And I feel like I took a shot at the Cubs earlier. I'm taking a shot at the Bears. I promise I have no hate against Chicago. Lovely city, been there. I actually love it. But Justin Fields is no quarterback, guys. Like, he's just not. So the fact that you can give that man, like, you can give him a recognition of, like, this guy can sling it, whatever. That's your receivers. That's, like, those guys that might could just Olave, JSN, uh, Garrett Wilson, and now you have Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, you got a room. And like I said, all at one time, that is a room full of pure talent that in five years we're going to be talking about, wow, that's one of the best receiver rooms. That goes up, you know, Alabama's put out some recent ones. You have your Waddles, you have your Devontae Smith, your Jameson Williams. Your, we haven't seen him yet because, you know, unfortunately he had, he was going through his cancer. But um, John Mechie, I cannot believe I forgot his name. I was bringing up John Mechie. You love, like, those guys, you're seeing them. And they've also had guys in the past. Yeah, you have your Julios and all that. You know, Calvin Ridley's. But I agree. Like, get give Ohio State, and I won't say this often, not a host, Ohio State guy at all. But give Ohio State their flowers. They know what they're doing, especially when it comes to the offensive end. So now let's get to what everybody on any sports network has brought up about college football. And that's not only is it just Colorado, the University of Colorado, but that is Coach D on Sanders. Coach I'm prime. All right. First off, yes, rough couple weeks, but not, not Against USC, you actually played a good football game. The way I describe it is you ran out of time. I you, I wanted to see them with two, three more minutes on the clock, see what they would have done. Because here's the thing. I know Coach Prom's a maniac. They score a touchdown, they're going for two. That game's ending right there. He's not going into overtime. That game will end right there. That game against Oregon, it was ugly. It was a hard watch. Um, I think they were a little bit full of themselves, and I think Oregon came out wanting to prove something. They were they didn't care about social media. They didn't care how they were perceived. They were like, we're just going to beat these guys, and they did. But you can, you can say they didn't have Travis Hunter. You can make up all these things, but they got beat that week. But I still, I love the story. I love Deion Sanders more than I ever have because he coaches a football team the right way. He coaches it for his players with a little bit of flash. He's not afraid to be himself. He doesn't care how he looks. He doesn't care how he sounds. He knows what he's doing, and he's doing it the right way. So if you want to say he comes off arrogant, go for it. I guess you're born. Whatever. Not everybody can be Nick Saban and just sit there and just be emotionless. The dude has flash. He has flair, and he has heart. So when it comes to me, when I'm watching that that Colorado Buffalo squad, it's fun. They're going to be good next year, next couple years. Right now, you know, you don't get your recruits. You have to do the whole transfer portal. But right now, the fact that they made the statement, they were ranked after that third game. If you, you're telling me that that team was going to be ranked and undefeated, go in and beat that TCU team and have another couple weeks after that, I would have been like, I don't know. I think that's a stretch. I thought they would make a bowl game. Now they're going to cruise to a bowl game, and I still think they're a really good, well-coached program, and they have a bright future to go. And one more thing I really want to look at with this Colorado team, I really feel like we haven't seen the best of this team yet. I'll be honest, watching the USC game, I thought it was another week just like they had against Oregon. But they came out of halftime, they woke up, and they looked really good in the second half. 
And you saw something that I think all of us have been waiting to see. Cormani came on the field, played great. Omarion got on the field, played great. They're going to get Travis back in a couple weeks. If they can have these young guys that they have start stepping up to go along with all these transfers that they brought in, they could be scary. I think that not necessarily this year. I think this year they'll get a good bowl game. And going to next year, they're going to be a team to really, really watch for. Agree. And let's talk about my guy, Shador Sanders. That kid can throw the ball, and I did not see it coming. You know, you hear all this, oh, he did this at Jackson State, he did that. You know, you're thinking, okay, but look at the competition. Like, I hate to be that guy, but let's really look who he's going against. I've watched him, and from a quarterback mind, the dude's making throws that you just sit there and you have to, you just have to appreciate. I mean, let's talk, he's getting work from Tom Brady. Like, the greatest to ever do it is who his, he's getting mentored by. And also, he knows he you, he's going to have that work ethic like his dad. So you know he's going to put in that work, plus a great mind like Brady. The dude's got everything he needs. He is an incredible athlete. He can run as wherever he needs to. He's got an arm on him. And so what I'm surprised is he doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He makes the right decision most of the time. He might miss a throw here and there, but he's still young. We'll see him come back next year. We'll see him with another year under his belt, and we'll really see how good he is because I think this dude is the truth. I think, you know, he's not a Caleb Williams. He's not a Michael Penick, but the dude's good. He is a ball player, and that is somebody that we will see be playing on Sundays in a couple years. To take further emphasis on that, I really have seen Shador, in the, especially in the past two weeks, he had all the hype. He knew he had all the hype. He had the world in the palm of his hands because he was playing out of his mind. That game against TCU was unbelievable. And then he played well against Colorado State. He played well against Nebraska. But he got his reality check in Oregon. And I thought he was not only just him, but then whole Colorado team was going to roll over dead. They came out and played a good game against USC. They looked good. I really like the direction that team's going in. But moving on from college football and football in general, let's hop into the biggest news from the past week, the NBA and the Damian Lillard trades. So starting off with that first trade that sent Damian Lillard to Milwaukee. In return, Portland gets Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, a 24, a 29, and then 28 and 30 pick swaps, along with sending Nurkic to Phoenix. Phoenix picks up Little, Allen, and Johnson in this trade. This one was huge at first because it already showed, for one, that Portland was immediately going to flip Drew Holiday. Nobody expected them to keep Drew. The direction they were heading in didn't have Drew in the mix they knew drew wanted to play for a contender they aren't ready to contend they're trying to build young and they've done a great job of that i think they got a really good return for lillard and that return gets even better when they give up holiday get a 29 pick and then williams and brogdon from boston so looking back at this trade in return for lillard they get ayton williams brogdon kamara who was the second round pick last year he's coming out of spain and then Five first-round picks. Unbelievable job by Portland's front office. I really like that trade for them. I also really like the trade for Milwaukee. I think they got what they needed. They are right back in the hunt to be a championship contender. I really like what they did. And the sleeper of all this, Phoenix does exactly what they needed to do. They get rid of Aiden's contract, which they didn't want to deal with. It's been stated they didn't want to deal with that. And they build some more depth, which everybody knows is going to be their problem this year. I really like this trade for all three teams. I think the winner, obviously, 
is going to be Milwaukee, but I think Portland and Phoenix did a great job as well. And going off of what he said, uh, my takeaway is actually I think the Trailblazers win this trade because you the way I compare them is they're like last year's Thunder team. You're no longer bad. This is a good team. I'm looking at this roster right now, and they don't have a hole. You're just young, and you get to grow together. I think having a coach like Chauncey Billups is exactly what this team needs. They're going to run people out of the gym. This team is too quick, too fast. They move too well. It's going to be hard to keep up with them. And once we get to, you know, January, February, March, they're going to keep on. They're going to keep it chugging, and teams are just going to be tired of it. You Night in, night out, having to keep up with these guys is going to be crazy. You get your rim protector. You know, you lose Nurkic, and everybody loves Nurkic. You get Robert Williams, who I feel like if you truly know ball, you know how good he is. He's not underappreciated. But if you're just a casual, you don't realize how good this guy is. Don't look at his box score. Watch him on the court. The eye test is the best thing that's going to do you justice for this guy. You already have guys like, you know, Bernie Simons, who's proved that dude can hoop. That dude is a baller. You have another defensive dog in Matisse Thibel, you know, you have Scoo Henderson, who's your, you know, two-pick this year, or three-pick, correct, sorry. He's your third overall pick from this year. The guy is a stud. Everybody knows it. We all know it. We just got to see how it translates into the NBA game. You get a Malcolm Brogdon, the guy who's won a Rookie of the Year, a guy who was very, very good in Seattle, or um, in Boston for the Celtics. And then you get DeAndre Ayton, who is, I mean, Think about this thing. We knew the Suns didn't want him. The Suns made it so evident they didn't want him. He had no plans for him, and they just didn't want him. And now he goes to a situation where he can be the big guy that he needed to be. And, yes, Milwaukee makes a huge, huge play. And they get a perennial all-star, an all-NBA kind of guy in Damian Lillard to star-stud that team even further. But... You know, obviously you sacrifice that. So there's things, there's, there, it's a trade. The thing about a trade is you give up to give. And that seems still great. I'm looking at it right now. I don't really see, yes, Boston now, since they made their trade, we'll get into that. That team is, they're favored to win the East. That team is different. I mean, you got Giannis, Chris Middleton. You have Damian Lillard. You have the anchor of Brooke Lopez. Like, this is one of the few times where I can look at every trade. A big trade like this, I'm looking at all three sides. I'm like, everybody did what they wanted to do. They got everything they needed to get out of this trade. And I was excited to watch. I'm like, to get the details and to see it all unfold. And then to see Drew get flipped to Boston. And they get Robert Williams out of I mean, this was just, it was an incredible couple of days for NBA. And it gets me excited for whenever the NBA comes back. And looking at that Portland roster, like you said, they have a lot of those young guys. But one guy you didn't mention that I really like, I don't know if he's going to be in a starting role or more of coming off the bench, but Shaden Sharp is a dog. And if he gets the touches that he needs to, as he gets older, he's really going to progress. That team, like you said, has so much young talent, and they really put themselves in a great spot to be good for years to come. But another thing to look at with Milwaukee, it's a move that I think went under the radar after the trade happens. They give up Grayson Allen, and everybody's like, oh, they lose their their bench guy that's going to back up for Dame. Well, then they go out the next day and sign campaign. So you're able to not only get Damian Lillard, but you really don't lose much depth. They still have depth. They have plenty of guys that can get it done. You have guys like Bobby Portis and then now obviously campaign. I really like what Milwaukee's done. I think they're going to be the favorite out in the East, but that is no diss to Boston or Miami or any other team out East that may surprise me when it gets down to it, the East is going to be fun to watch. Philadelphia could wake up. Who knows? But there's going to be a lot of things that might happen out East 
But like I said, I really like Milwaukee. I like Boston too. I think that would be the dream ECF for me. Both those teams look amazing. They both did really well, and I think they both won these trades. I mean, as an NBA fan, you can't. You have to be excited for this. I mean, yes, these were the top two teams. They were the top two seeds last year, you know. But Milwaukee got bounced in the first round from a eight seed Miami, and then Boston lost to that same Miami team. So that's what we we wanted. This, this is something we should have honestly gotten already. But now we get a better version of it, and you know. Mentioning teams that weren't meant, you know, Cleveland. Cleveland's going to come back. That's another year they're together. That young team gets better. They improve, have another year under their belt. New York's going to do New York things. We don't know. They could be a 12 seed or they could be a 4 seed. Honestly, you know, Brunson, absolute stud. Julius Randle, what type of Julius Randle are we going to get? And then is R.J. Barrett going to play how he did two years ago? Or are we going to get the R.J. Barrett of recent history? It just, we don't know. And then you have teams on the outside. You have your Hawks. You have your Bulls. Like, you have those guys. Like Micah said, East is going to be really fun to watch. On the West side, you have the defending champs, the Denver Nuggets. Nothing really changes there. You lose a couple guys, whatever. Nothing crazy. But that team's still led by what I think, and I think Michael agreed to me, is the best player in the NBA, Nikola Jokic. And that's all you really need with Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon. You, you just, that team is exactly what you want from an NBA team. And you know, the Grizzlies, that whole show, they will not be the two seed. I'm going to go ahead and make, a, you can call it a hot take. I don't think it's very hot. They won't be the two seed. They have way too much going on. That team is a complete mess in the organization. Don't They're not going to be where they are. But you also have Phoenix. They got Bradley Beal. Like, that team is nothing but superstars. That is a, a my team, if you ask me. Like, that team is absolutely insane. The Lakers get better. The Clippers, if healthy, we finally get to see the Clippers play basketball. The Mavericks, and I'm going to say, the Mavericks will be in the playoffs this year. I'm a Mavericks fan. Love Luka Doncic. You get Kyrie in the offseason. They didn't know. There was a little bit an ego problem, but not the ego problem of like, oh, I take the shots. Like, no, you're the star. You do it. Well, this is your team. No, they couldn't figure out whose team it was instead of working together and playing good basketball. You know, you have the Utah Jazz team who surprised everybody, even though they didn't make the playoffs. I think there was a little bit of, you know, Larry Marketing, you're playing a little too good right to sit you. And then, you know, you have your young... Anthony Edwards, that Timberwolf team. We'll see how they do. Healthy with a full season. I love to see them. And the Warriors. I Me mean, personally, I don't know what they're doing with this whole Chris Paul thing. I think it's a little redundant considering I don't see where his role comes in. Yes, a distributor, but isn't that what Draymond does? And he's definitely not going to play the whole point guard role of like this offensive side because uh, I'm sorry, Stephen Curry, excuse me. Like, I don't know what their route is, but I'm looking at. You know, just the standings from last year and teams that got better, teams that got worse. Like, it's going to be a fun NBA season. And then, you know, I'm sure I'm sure ESPN is going to tell me every move that Victor Wembanyama does because they I did that last year and he wasn't even in America. So imagine whenever he's actually playing, I'm sure we'll get his day-to-day routine. But right now, this is the time to be a sports fan. Football's finally getting a swing of motion. Baseball's playoffs are just now starting. Actually, now that as we speak, there's 10 minutes until the Rangers and Rays game getting kicked off. That is going to kick off our playoffs, and basketball's coming up. Like, And if you're a hockey fan, hockey's starting. Not big hockey guys, but, you know, we need to, we can cover. But hockey's doing their thing. This is the time of year to be a sports fan. And to wrap up on the NBA, there's one more thing I really want to talk about. It's the Philadelphia 76ers in general, but mostly just two guys. We know who those guys are. It's James Harden and Joel Embiid. James Harden. His whole ordeal with Daryl Morey and not wanting to show up to training camp, not wanting to show up to media day. I did hear reports that he's going to show up sometime this week. 
but it's still all up in the air because who knows how everything's going to go with him getting traded. They want to let Maxi grow into the role of being their lead scorer. And then on top of all that, Joel Embiid may have made the most idiotic comments I have heard out of an NBA player in a long time earlier this week. After the Milwaukee and Boston trade ordeals go down, Joel Embiid has the audacity to get in front of the media and say, since when does this mean that they passed us? So not only do you think that your joke of a roster with no leadership is better than those teams, but you're sitting here saying that you are better than them to begin with. I, I can't even start with Joel Embiid. This guy makes so many idiotic comments in the media, cries to the media, flops all over the place, can't stay on his feet. If he does, he's going to get hurt. He's made of paper and glass. I can't stand Joel Embiid. It just it keeps getting worse. And beyond the Joel Embiid thing, a fantastic player, but the dude is just, he's not what he thinks he is. Is he a superstar? Absolutely. Is he one of the top? Yes, he's one of the top big men, but let alone top players in the league he won the MVP now whether you think he deserved that or not I would have probably given it to Jokic but that's neither here nor there that was last season the dude can ball but I agree to say that they haven't passed us they were already past you and they got better and you've gotten worse so we're talking about um Milwaukee adding an all-star player and Damian Lillard and we're talking about Boston adding an all-star level player and Drew Holiday and we're talking about Philadelphia who's kind of lost an all-star player and James Harden because you know, I don't know what's going with that. He'll probably play just because that's what happens every offseason, this, this, this. And then he finally was like, all right, fine, I'll show up to work. But you, your team's gotten worse. Philadelphia's gotten worse. The process, I think it, it, this isn't the process. It's a completely different team. The only thing that's stayed the same is Joel Embiid. You've lost everything else. So the process is dead to me. But if we're just going on the sake, the, the, the window is closing, if not already closed. So that's what we'll wrap up on the NBA. Um... I'll turn, you know, I'll turn the, the ship into uh, Micah and going into boxing UFC and martial arts, so, you know, combat sports, because I dabble into it a little bit. And when I mean a little bit, just a little bit. So I'll let him take the reins on that and he'll tell us what we got going on in the next few weeks. Yeah. So let's get into what happened over the weekend. We had Canelo Alvarez and Charlo fight. Massive fight for the undisputed title. And Canelo went in and dominated. People talked a lot in the past few fights that Canelo didn't look like himself. They thought maybe he was past his prime. His fight against B-Wall looked terrible. Canelo, I've never seen Canelo be in a situation where he had someone on the ropes. And B-Wall was encouraging Canelo to come fight him. And Canelo stood there and would not step up. That's the first time in my life I've ever seen Canelo. I've been watching Canelo for a very long time. That's the first time I've ever seen him look like he knew he was going to lose. I didn't get to see him fight Mayweather. I was too young. I wasn't into boxing at that point. But I've heard that Mayweather embarrassed him. I had never seen Canelo get embarrassed, so I didn't think that was that could truly happen until I saw him fight Bivol. But coming out this time against Charlo, he looked great. He fought amazing. Um, that was it was a great display of him being able to get back to striking using the jab rather than that long right hook that he had been abusing in his past few fights. And he also looked good defensively. Head movement was good. He's great. He's a master of being able to dodge punches while moving forward and punching at the same time. But Post that fight, there's been a lot of talk coming from Terrence Crawford in his corner. Terrence won the fight that he had most recently and since then has been talking so much shit to everybody in the boxing world. And he had something to say about Charlo. He said that he's no longer on his radar. He said that Charlo went in there and got messed with, did not look like he belonged. But one thing I want to see from Terrence 
if he's going to talk about Ch Charlo getting bullied like that and say that it's his fault, why doesn't Terrence step up to 168 and fight Canelo? I would love to see that fight happen. It's hypothetical. It probably won't. It's not a good business decision for Terrence because Canelo knows how to fight at that weight. Terrence doesn't. But moving on from that, a contract got signed over the past week, I believe last week, but it's a huge one. And it's a fight that everybody thought we should see, but never thought would actually happen. Tyson Fury and Yuzik have signed the contract. Tyson is considered to be one of the best heavyweights of all time. Yuzik has been running the boxing world the past few years, and he's got a shot at Tyson now. If Tyson wins this, we put him in the upper echelon of heavyweights. But if Yuzik wins this, all of a sudden, he's on that track to be in the upper echelon of heavyweights. But boxing is in a great place right now. I think that fight was scheduled sometime around the end of December or early January. They haven't announced an official date yet. But that's going to be a super fight. It's one to really watch for. It's going to shake up the boxing world. And then moving on to UFC, we have 294 coming up. Oliveira is taking another shot at the belt. I think he could capitalize and get the belt back. Islam looked great in the last fight. Don't get me wrong. But I've watched Charles fight so many times. It gets down to it. You catch him once. You can't catch him again. That guy's a freak. That's going to be such a great fight to watch coming up in a couple weeks. But with all that being said, I think we're going to go ahead, wrap it up, go watch some playoff baseball. So I just wanted to go ahead and personally thank everybody for listening to this first episode here at the Hear Me Out podcast. And Ryan, if there's anything you got to say, you can go ahead. I really just want to say, like, it's a blessing that we can actually do this. We've been talking about doing this for over a year now. And, you know, part of it's just been we've been busy. We had a freshman year of college last year. And also we were kind of, I would say you can agree with me, we we're kind of nervous. Like, you don't know where to start when it comes to something like this. So... If there's anybody who's listening to this needs any sort of inspiration or just a reason to do something that they want to do, just press record. Go out and buy what you need and just press record and just do it. We're not perfect. We're not. We're amateur. Like, this is our first time ever doing anything. And we just ripped off, you know, an hour worth of content. And I would say, Micah, you can agree. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. Like, this is something we've been doing. We've been in PlayStation parties for years, for and for hours on those end, just talking about sports and just talking about whatever. And to be able to put it on a platform, it it really just, it makes me feel good. I feel accomplished. And, you know, I would love to see something come from it. But if it doesn't, that's okay because I'm doing something that I really enjoy. So, you know, that's going to be it from us. You know, great first episode. I appreciate everybody who listened in and hope to see you next time. Peace.